0: Welcome to Solutions Cast, a CFC podcast that highlights cooperative network projects and leader stories, as well as economic and energy industry insights. I'm your host, Rick Taylor. Today, I'm speaking with two longtime electric cooperative leaders from Plumas Sierra Rural Electric Cooperative Bob Marshall, General Manager, and Jason Harston, Engineering and Operations Manager. Plumas Sierra Rural Electric Cooperative is a distribution system that provides electric and telecom service to Plumas, Sierra, and Lassen Counties in California and Washoe County in Nevada. Also here with me is Jan Allen, CFC's Vice President, Industry Research and Policy. This spring, CFC published a special report, Building Energy Resilience – How Electric Cooperatives are Mitigating Extreme Weather Effects. The report looks at some of the different approaches electric cooperatives are taking to prepare for and adapt to weather-related disruptions. One of the cooperatives featured in this publication is Plumas Sierra Rural Electric Cooperative for its approach to wildfire mitigation. Blazing wildfires are a persistent threat to the communities in the cooperative service territory. Over the past 25 years, Plumas Sierra Rural Electric Cooperative has pursued an aggressive Hazard Tree Removal Program to reduce wildfire spread. While this program has paid dividends, the cooperative has enhanced its wildfire mitigation approach in recent years with a number of new measures, such as mastication, fire-resistant mesh, and flame retardant. These new measures are the basis for our discussion today on wildfire mitigation measures. At this point, I would like to introduce Jan Allen whose industry research for CFC has included a strong focus on energy resilience. Jan, it's great to have you with us.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Rick. Great to be here with you and it's it's really a special treat to speak with Bob and Jason from uh, Pluma Sierra. Bob, let's let's start with you. So, before we get into the specifics on on some of the more recent wildfire mitigation measures that you've been employing, I wanted to give you a chance to Talk a little bit about your system and your territory, and then obviously the fact that you provide both electric and telecom service. So can you talk a little bit about your system, its specific vulnerabilities to wildfires, and and then how it impacts both the electric and telecom sides of your business?
2: So we are in Northeastern California. We serve a little portion of Reno, so that puts us right on the crust of the Sierra. Our system, it's where the Sierra starts heading down, fading into the Cascades. We serve the leftovers of what three other utilities didn't want. So we have a unique long radial system, probably one of the worst designs in the lower 48. With climate change, we are seeing higher and higher snowpacks, less and less moisture up high, which used to be a feature which helped us once upon a time. Uh, We go from deep timber in oaks to ponderosa, pine, cedar, dug fir, to junipers, then to sagebrush, all of which burn merrily in a mix of U.S. Forest Service to the western part of our system and the trees and private timberlands, high country, which is part Forest Service, part BLM, fading to all Bureau of Land Management land out to the east. Our fiber is vulnerable in part because we got an ERA stimulus fund grant and we built it on our distribution line so we could get sequa clearance. That means hanging at 18 feet is, you know, 100 plus miles of fiber that can burn. So we have wooden poles on our 69 kV system. We have fiber optic hanging underneath it and um, we serve, I want to say, 8,000 square miles hundred and um, um, I want to say 1,400 miles of overhead line and we are about six customers per mile, 8,000 members. The other puzzle piece is we have IOUs and we don't have a GNT delivering to our system. We have PG&;E with 2 60 kV lines from the west and Nevada Energy coming on a backup undersized line at 60 kV from the southeast. And our problem last year with wildfires was the D- pg e burned down their own lines to our region. And so we were 150 days without our primary or secondary sources of power. And Jason and his gang did a phenomenal job of keeping the lights on with a cogen plant, rented generators, Envy Energy hanging in here. But by hook and by crook, we survived. So... Having IOUs who don't give a crap about their own maintenance, generally speaking, is a unique challenge, I would would say.
0: Let's talk about some of the specific new measures you are using. Mastication, fire-resistant mesh, and flame retardant. And let's start with mastication. Can you talk a little bit about when you use mastication, what it involves, and are there any drawbacks to it? Yeah, I, I, this is Jason. I can speak on that. So we do actually have two
3: masticators in-house. We're set up in two divisions. We have a north end and a south end. The Milford office is a small satellite office in uh, Lassen County. And they also patrol the lines and work on the lines in Washoe County. So we have both on each end and, and as Bob mentioned before, we're interesting terrain. We go from extreme large timber to, to the desert with eight foot, 10 foot buck brush. So we actually have multiple sets of masticating heads. There's there's a lot of brands out there, but we have we have two or three that you can move per area. And we and what we try to do is masticate in the spring while while it's still wet. You you need to have that fine balance of can the machine still get out there before it's not too late and you start your own fires. One of the things that we practice on, like we have a job coming up here in the next few weeks, but we actually masticated that entire line back in May, kind of planning ahead for when the line crew would be out there. We're, we're going to have a lot of vehicles working on that line that may regen or have the possibility of we start our own fires from the vehicles, not from an energized line or, or, or the public, but we could be responsible for that too. So we masticate before we actually go in and, and maintain our, our lines. And then we also masticate you know for any damages or, or something may happen with the public, a a vehicle accident. But there is dangers that come with masticators. When we when we masticate, we also take water trucks water tenders and have a guy walk in front of that line to make sure, are we clearing any rocks that that masticating head may hit and create a fire? And we also walk it, uh, you know, just a funny story, but if you don't walk that line, you're not sure where you're driving that masticator, there was another utility that actually hooked a barbed wire fence and he didn't notice and he pulled out several several hundred yards of someone's fence and and it destroyed their property, but that could have also started a fire. So it's important to, to think of you're going to masticate, how are you going to do it? What is the most safe approach to do it?
1: So that's, that's really interesting. I really appreciate that, Jason. So let, let me, let me uh, ask a little bit more about mastication and, and the potential legal issues surrounding it. Bob mentioned that, uh, that your territory is, you know, includes some BLM land and, and so forth. Do you run into any, any specific legal issues related to mastication? Not so much with the BLM. We, we make sure and we let any
3: governing agencies, let, you know, we give them a, a, a timeline when we're coming, what we're doing, why we're doing it, um, why Plumasierra has the responsibility to do this for, you know, the Cal Fire Fire Prevention Field Guide, or do we need to get equipment in there? It's usually not the government agencies that push back. It's usually one or two landowners that that are they're worried about if we, we make an access for the public to come in. So we need to help you know, help them understand that we're not there to secure their land, but we'll, we'll give them ideas and help them how to keep the public out. But we're there to do our job and keep them safe. And, it, and it, you need to explain to one member why it's a benefit for
0: all members. We're all in
3: this together. Uh, one decision is, can affect many.
0: I'd like to talk to you guys a little bit about the fire-resistant mesh that you use. Can you explain to us what you see as the main benefits and how you determine when to use it?
3: Sure. So far, and, and and I wish I had a really great example in this, I don't. We, we had the Dixie Fire come through last year, and we bought a, a quite a large quantity of fire mesh. And, and can it be expensive? you got to balance the risk and reward for that. Um, and there's multiple brands. The brand we used was Genix, and it's, uh, it's, you, you can wrap it as high as you want. We go about 8 feet to 10 feet up the pole. But with the mesh, the benefit that we found is if someone sticks a gaff in it, it's, I shouldn't say self healing, but it doesn't rip apart. It still stays on the pole. So if the fire hits that pole, it just melts over the gaff mark or, or, or seals the hole. Now we do have a large number of bears in the area and they'd love to use the poles to scratch on, lean on. So they haven't torn the mesh off yet. It has worked really well. What I, what we don't have for real world experience yet is we've, pushed the, we've put all this up during the Dixie fire on hard angles or buck pole or transmission pole. And we guarded those poles and the fire actually didn't go through there yet. So we haven't seen it work in action, but I, I, I have faith that it
0: will. And what are some of the drawbacks?
3: Uh, mainly cost. And it, if you are if if you were trying to, to do all of your poles, you know, you, it's that risk and reward. You may do a hundred pole section and have the fire only come through in two poles. Or you may have this line with, that you spent all this money on for the fire mesh that it may never hit. So what Plymouth approach has been is, is we try to protect our three phase large three phase lines that may have large taps off of them or, or large commercial load. Uh, when a fire comes through or a buck pole or a hard angle pole, you basically the crew's going to look at sections where where do I not want to replace this pole that got burnt? Or where where is the fire going to go through that's going to have a two hour outage versus a three week outage. You know what it's what's your, what's your bang for the buck. So we focus on transmission poles. Um, a hard breakover or a hard angle. If it's a single-phase tap that goes out and feeds, let's say five customers, there's you have to make that decision of maybe it's better to let that burn and not put your uh, put the money into that line to protect it. Put anybody's public public health and safety right. Don't put anybody at risk to protect those five poles. Let them burn. Let the crew go back in and fix them in five hours. Is it worth the five hours just to fix a simple single-phase tangent and instead of spending? a lot of man-hours or money towards a fire mesh that maybe not that
0: important. And you, have to, you have to make that judgment call on your own. So let's move on to the other wildfire mitigation measure that your cooperative uses, flame retardant. Can you tell us a little bit about how you use the flame retardant and what you see as the main benefits? Sure. And we've, and we've actually used two types, and the first type, you'll
3: see it a lot during it almost looks like borate on a pole. A lot of people have probably seen the red on a pole during a wildfire crisis. And we actually did spray that on a lot of transmission poles and we did get to see that work and we had great results. A lot of fires that move through in our territory, if you're in the heavy timber um, and there's a lot of wind, it'll crown out and move through the tops and there's, not, there's nothing you can do to protect the top of that pole no matter what you do. But it towards kind of the uh, north of our system, the wildfire moves through so fast, if you can get it to flash through and not ignite that pole, you'll, you'll make it. And, and that retardant has worked for that, it's protected that pole. And then the other thing we've done too is, you know, we have our backpack pumps and we have two water tenders, one on each side and and multiple other water resources. And we've used a uh, uh, another product, I think it's called FOSCheck, and you can dilute the water. So if you're, I shouldn't say that we're firefighting, but if you're there, you can spray those poles down or you can spray that area down, and it does help prevent. Uh, the big flash onto the pole. We've had really good luck with that. And then we mix that all year round in every backpack pump or water truck so that it's already mixed and diluted. So it's not the uh, panic of, did that get done? We just do it first thing out of the spring. what about the drawbacks? Uh, The drawbacks is cost. Depending on what type of material you use, it does have a lifespan. It has a shelf lifespan and it has a lifespan on the pole. So again, you need to pick your areas of what are you okay to take the risk on? Or where is the fire? Are you protecting three phase transmission? What are you protecting? Because you may use that product on a long, if you were to paint all of your poles, you know, in a year or two years span, that product will no longer be viable. So you, you really need to plan ahead for that.
0: How does it do in rain?
3: Once it dries, it's actually pretty good. It hasn't diluted much. And again, it depends on what time of the year you use it. But for us, we, once we start spraying in June or July, We usually don't see rain again till late August or or September. We may get a few lightning storms that come through, but not enough to to dilute that solution.
1: So question here for Bob. I wanted to ask you about your experience with your board, gaining support from your board for these wildfire mitigation measures and how you've dealt with any objections and any recommendations you have for other co-ops in regards to this. Before I became general manager, The cooperative was
2: accused by the Forest Service of starting the layman fire in 1989. It was possible it was us. We said it wasn't us. But when we reviewed our internal practices, we found out that we were paying a tremendous amount of money for not a lot of work on our pole clearing and tree trimming. We also had a demoralized staff, and it's quite possible that someone who said they patrolled that line had not So... Federated comes to our rescue. Federated saves us from a a large settlement. They ran a mock trial and it turned out that we might have been paying a lot of money. So, Federated want us to clean up our act. At the same time, some friends of mine from the Forest Service met with us and when I asked them, what do we need to do? And a firefighter I was on a fire department with yelled at me saying, you need to comply with the GD law. So, it was a wake-up call, and when you have that level of, of push from the Forest Service and your insurance company, it wakes you up. So we became a commercial logging company for several years because we were cutting so many logs off our power lines that we spent $3 million in pole clearing and tree trimming, but we sold $2 million worth of logs um, back to the mill. So that was helped make it reasonably affordable. Eventually, the board started asking the questions about when are we going to be done with this aggressive tree trimming, and it came back to probably never. They had to slowly get their heads around that. As every time that this question would pop back up every three or four years, we'd have some event like a drought or a die-off where it really didn't let us do that. There were former employees at rate meetings saying, just let it burn and let the insurance take care of it. And Federated didn't think that was particularly funny, our Federated rep, when I told him about it. Eventually, it got to the spot in California where the campfire, the car fire, uh, multiple fires set, sometimes by utility, sometimes natural, were burning down big swaths of California. And insurance became extremely difficult to get. Federated had our back. Federated doubled the standard insurance uh, coverage for us because they couldn't get reinsurance for us. There are multiple utilities who are self-insuring or are flying without insurance, which is sort of wild. So we have federated, and federated saying, you must do it. You must take care of your lines. And we know that if we don't, we're in deep trouble. The board is quite aware that you must maintain your lines because of strict liability in California. But in general liability, you know, one spark and you have burned 100 homes and you may have killed someone. Everyone is, in California especially, is quite aware that you must do a good job with tree trimming and pole clearing. And fortunately, the members are far more cooperative than they were previous to the campfire.
0: On that note, let's talk about liability risk. What things do you do to reduce your exposure to liability beyond implementing these measures?
2: Jason, would you talk about some of the operational issues there? It, a lot of this is not by
3: choice. We're not, you know, we're not excited to come through. We have any, they've granted us an easement, and we we need to come clean this up. If you're doing your job and and clearing the right of ways and taking care of your vegetation management, it takes a lot of liability out of it. A lot of it is explaining to the members why you're there and why you're legally bound to do this and why why it's good for everyone. Once you help get your members to understand the position that we're all in this together and that, that we're all liable and we need to be in there, it goes well, but you do need to take the time to educate the public and you need to go in and cut the trees. You know, we have a, we have an expression, trim for clearance, not appearance. And the members need to understand that. We're there to not be liable to starting fires. So let me, let me talk,
1: High level here, and talk about some of the, the big lessons learned. You you all obviously have a lot of experience in this area. You've been on the front lines battling wildfires for years now. What are your top three takeaways from your experience that you would want to share with a fellow co-op general manager or operations manager?
2: Some people have asked us, why is PG&E so bad compared to the cooperative? What can Pigeonie do to be as good as as Pluma Sierra? And, and I jokingly answer that the answer is, well, start doing your tree trimming and pole clearing 25 years ago. It'd be a good start. But, but what do you do when you're starting from ground zero? It is start, start now and get at it. Um, make sure that the tree trimming and pole clearing people are not buddies with or hunting friends of your manager of E&O. Make sure that there's no room for... I call it soft-headedness here, or, well, they've been with us a long time. We find that about every three years, our tree contractors uh, decide that, you know, after they've done a really good job for two years, that, you know, we pad the bill a bit, we might get a new pickup truck for me. And and they start cutting back on their intensity and, and, and the quality of the job they're doing. That's part of it. The other part is, you've got to work on the legislative and regulatory side, members will fight you on getting to the trees. And on the legislative side, we were successful in getting it into a code that the utility has the right to take hazard trees. And that was a a great step by us. It also helped buck up Federated, knowing that, hey, we are really killing ourselves. So when you cover us, we're making the changes and we're going after the hazard trees, decreasing the likelihood of, of a catastrophic fire. Making sure you can you work on the LNR side continuously, but you don't also get swept up by overzealous regulators who have no idea what's actually going on in the rural parts of your state, and that's a big problem in California, a big problem in Oregon and Washington too. So that's key: is being involved, um, getting the regs written, making sure that people aren't telling you what to do wrong. A second big one, a huge difference for us is having our SCADA system. Um, one of our neighbors to the north and other co-op even further north don't have SCADA systems and this is crucial we know what's going on with our system and we can set it so you know if we need to turn things on single shot because someone's working in that region we do it in real time there you go it's clear we're on single shot if a tree hits the line it it won't usually start a, a catastrophic fire we had a tree hit our lines this summer And we were on single shot or no reclose. Hit the line, line shut off instantly, no sparks fell. And we had witnesses near the site who were like, not a a flame on the ground, thank God. So having that, being able to cut out some very small portions of your system that may be at fire risk in what is the public safety power shutoffs. Being able to control your system, being able to see it in real time, what's going on. What kind of fault was that is crucial. The third piece would be being very firm with members who do not want you to cut the trees on their property. And you're on three acre parcel and you've got six trees. You don't want to lose two of those trees. So in one area called Chandler Road, we had about a five mile long road that was very pretty, but the trees were diseased. So when we came through saying we are going to cut the trees here, major battle with. Cal Fire, unfortunately, being trying to be neutral, with us saying these trees must go. We got a lot of them out of there, but we couldn't force our way into some properties. Winter came, and on multiple occasions, huge trees cracked because they were diseased. They then fell away from our lines and towards the house, and we had multiple people calling us going, hey, you can come get those trees now, and we're like, oh, no, it's leaning leaning away from the power lines and it's now dangling over their house so but here's a great crane you can go get and professionals to cut those trees down after that happened our our professional forester went and got a ball that's two feet wide a a a piece of wood that you could hold in your hand like it was a coffee cup and it was foot and a half two feet around i mean this thing was just hollow and she walked to the homes who were still fighting us and said, this is what's inside your tree. This thing is going to snap, and it may come right through your bedroom. And having real-life physical examples, having multiple trees snap down and take out some garages, all of a sudden, the neighborhood became cooperative. There were still a few more places where we had a problem, and the campfire solved some of those, unfortunately. But people started panicking, going, I don't want my house to burn. Yes, you can take a few more trees. The other part is there are going to be places where you just turn off the power. And it's like, you're not going to let us trim the tree? Great. Call us when you want central station service again. And your board has to have the guts to to do that. But sometimes it's like, you call us when you want want your power back on because we're not putting up with it. We're not going to lose the co-op because one member refuses to let us cut T- branches that are starting to spark and if I
3: and Bob hit on something if I could say so he', he had mentioned that and that kind of goes with complacent every utility has a few customers on the end of the line or somewhere on their system that don't want their tree taken the days of well I'll deal with that customer later you know I, I have other things to do or this one's going to be a bear and, and they've been a bear for 20 years that means this is the year that you that you have to address that you, you can't let them slide you need to help educate them and explain. And, and you can't let it go. You have to go up to that tree. You have to go up to that vegetation management and help them understand why. I think as as a operations manager to other operations manager, and, and this is a really this is really easy to do, is to try not to be complacent. So you may, may have an emergency response plan that's sitting on a shelf in a room somewhere that you know it. You, you know it's somewhere in the office. You, you haven't really read it. You think you have, and, and you've done the bare minimum to meet a requirement to have this plan. Until you actually have the the emergency response or a a wildfire come through or anything like that, make sure that you know what's in that book, that you have a plan of action, that your employees understand that plan of action before the emergency happens. Fortunately, we've had plenty of practice in the last three years, but it's a good reminder of there is an emergency response plan. There is contacts with local agencies, Forest Service, Cal Fire. Um, meet them, find out what they need from you. What can you get from them? How how is your relationship? How do you get, how do you continue a good relationship with these people? But don't don't become complacent. And again, I'm guilty of it. I, every every manager's always been guilty of, well, it'll never happen to me, or or we won't have you know that happened 30 years ago, here in California. This is when it will
2: happen. It's how much is it going to happen, and what is what would your response be? I can't thank enough Federated. One of the things that when I deal with my municipal neighbors, because there aren't a lot of co-ops in California, people ask, you know, you seem to punch outside your weight class. How do you do that? And having the bigger cooperative network um, really, as I explained, it, is I have a giant private co-op bank that cares if I exist or not. And we have a giant privately owned co-op insurance company that is watching out for my best interest. So the entire co-op family of, of, I call them super co-ops, but co-ops of co-ops, is, is crucial. For the wildfire side, Federated comes in with good advice. Federated also makes sure we're doing the right things. And if they need to goose us, they do. Um, but also that in, in most recently, I mentioned it a bit earlier, but Federated normally only covers you for $10 million and they reinsure the rest. But in our case... No one wants to uh, insure a California electric utility. And they went and, and internally said, we've got to make sure Pluma Sierra is okay. And they doubled their standard insurance for us. So we have a reciprocal piece as well. We must make sure they never regret that decision. And um, so we work our tails off. And, and it does help with the board. It does help with the member owners. It's like, we have no choice. We must do this. But having someone on your side like that does when I compare notes with other utilities in California, I'm just, oh, thank the Lord, because I'm not sure how I could sleep at night without insurance for the utility. It's one spark away from, oh, well, that was interesting.
0: All very good observations and insights into wildfire mitigation. Bob and Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts with us today It's been a fascinating discussion. Uh, I know that the CFC members will enjoy hearing it as much as we enjoyed having it with you. We look forward to connecting with you again soon. And thank you again. Really appreciate your time.
2: Thank you for joining us on this edition of Solutions Cast. Be sure to subscribe to get the next episode and check nrucfc.coop solutions for more electric
1: cooperative news.